I think a materialist approach to things is very, very consistent with uh, my experience in Christian social justice. I feel like the, the deeper I get into anarchist practice, the deeper my faith is getting at the same time. I would hope that you know, securing means of life for all would be something all people of faith would say, oh yes, that's at the basis of what we believe. Those who are most marginalized know the most about the truth, good and the beautiful. To me, it's less that I think building class solidarity is a bad thing, as much as it seems like if you don't attend to things like anti-black racism, um, that's always going to get in the way of building class solidarity, actually. And when you go back, you find that a lot of uh, revolutionary grassroots participatory movements, the, the precursors to what you could call um, the barrio assemblies and these like, you know, grassroots neighborhood organizations, a lot of these were sponsored by the church. What does it mean to say that the Christian tradition is internally contradictory and there are antagonisms there? Um, you're always uh, being faithful to some aspects and betraying other aspects. Welcome to The Magnificast, a podcast about Christianity and leftist politics. I'm your co-host, Matt Bernico. And I'm your other co-host, Dean Deloff. Hey, you might have heard some really good news this week about what's been going on in Bolivia. Um, what's the deal with Bolivia? A Jerry Seinfeld type character might ask. <laughs> well, uh, if you'll recall, uh, there was a really bad coup there not too long ago uh, in 2019 that ousted everyone's favorite Bolivian president, Evo Morales. Um, and ousted also the movement towards socialism, uh, the political party that was in power there. But hey, there were some elections, and things are looking pretty good at the moment. Um, Louis Arce, uh, who uh, is a member of the uh, movement towards socialism, uh, is now the president. Would you fancy that? <laughs> yeah, would you fancy it? Um, it is pretty exciting, especially after what was a lot of very bad news in the last year in Bolivia. So it's set a lot of people um, off on a, a big celebratory uh, moment, and that's exciting. And to talk more about it, we have Jim Hodgson with us, who is kind of our de facto Magnificast Latin America correspondent, I guess. Uh, that's what he has become on the show, and we're very grateful for the perspective he brings. We mentioned this a few times in the show, but if you want a little more background, we did an episode with Jim last year right after the coup itself. So you can maybe listen to that, hear a little bit more about Bolivia and uh, some other parts of Latin America there and get a little more background on what um, what the lead up to this has been, what the mood was like a year ago. We also did an episode with Jim on Venezuela um, before that one uh, quite a long time ago which may also be of interest because Venezuela is heading into elections in December as well. So um, as much information as you can possibly gather on these complicated places, uh, that is what you should do. <laughs> you get the idea. Uh, you know what I'm trying to say. Uh, Jim, grateful to have him back again. And his uh, perspective is always a unique one for Christians on the left. Uh, let's go over to Jim. Jim, you've been on the show twice before. We're really glad to have you back. And also, it's nice to have you back talking about something more uh, positive or uplifting than the previous times. Uh, we had you on talking about the presidential election in Venezuela, where Maduro had won and, and sort of the events ensuing after that. And then almost a year ago, talking about the coup in Bolivia. 
So for listeners who don't know you already and maybe haven't heard those episodes, could you say a little bit about yourself? What do you do? What's your experience in the region? Why are you uh, invested in what's happening in a place like Bolivia? Thanks. It's it's really a delight to be back with you on uh, the Magnificast and uh, and to share with your listeners some some thoughts about uh, a part of the world that I that I really love. I've been uh, back and forth between Canada and Latin America pretty much constantly um, since 1983. So um, uh, you know it's 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 a part of who I am, and I, I think. Uh, you know, my my background is in journalism. I um, but I spent the last twenty years working for the United Church of Canada as their coordinator for Latin America um, partnerships and, and issues and and so on. So, uh, but in all those years, you know, thirty what is it, thirty seven years of of work uh, back and forth in Latin America, I've only made two visits to Bolivia, um, and those were you know not that long ago, two thousand eleven and two thousand fifteen. Uh, so after the, uh, the, the, the new experiment had begun, it was well underway. Um, and, uh, and of course before the coup, um, a year ago. Thanks Jim. That's some helpful context about who you are and why you're such a good person to talk to you about this. Maybe we can just jump right into it. Can you give us a recap of the recent events in Bolivia? Like, how did we get to this point? You know, the, the basics are that there was a coup, but the people voted and undid it. Um, but how would you characterize, like, you know, what happened in Bolivia, and uh, you know, what's been going on there? I guess I'm thrilled by the the election result. Uh, it, it, I, I feared uh, something more ambiguous. Uh, this is a resounding uh, recovery of power by um, by the progressive uh, forces in in Bolivia. So, like, to go back a little bit. Um, Bolivia is one of those countries that uh, was plagued for decades by uh, military dictatorships um, and kind of uh, began to turn towards, uh, you know, a sort of democracy in 1989. Uh, but then, it, you know, the, the, those governments uh, sputtered. Um, they, they were you know, trying to be neoliberal in a neoliberal world, you know, following the dictates of the International Monetary Fund and the World Bank and the U.S. government and, and so on. Um, but the majority of the people in, in Bolivia were indigenous, are indigenous. Uh, most were locked out of whatever um, economic experiment was going on amongst the, the middle class of the rich. Uh, lighter skinned people, um, Kind of in the the lowlands of Bolivia, not not the highlands where the indigenous people lived, and so the, um, the there was this constant effort uh, to try to uh, get governments to pay attention, and and there was a, a man named Evo Morales who uh, headed a, a social movement of people who grew coca leaves, um, grew coca for a living, and and coca is uh, yes, it is the um, the, the the product from which uh, cocaine is made, but that's a, uh, a distortion of, of the use of coca historically in the Andean region. Um, you know, uh, coca eases hunger, it uh, helps you contend with the altitude, it uh, helps you feel a bit better in cold weather and, um, and, and so on. And it has uh, deep roots in the, the culture of Andean peoples. Um, the distortions that come with drug trafficking and so on are, are a different issue. But but there was an effort by the U.S. government to suppress 
uh, coca production in Bolivia and uh, that affected farmers. Like if you can't grow coca, then what are you supposed to do? Uh, what, what are the alternatives? And there was never an alternative presented. So Morales headed this social movement uh, and uh, became a, a nationally known, globally known um, as a spokesperson for small farmers. Um, so he uh, organized a new political movement uh, after a series of the, these conservative or neoliberal governments had kind of collapsed because of their own internal contradictions. Um, and, and so Morales won the election in December 2005. And then like some of the other um, progressive uh, Parties, when they took power, uh, realized that the constitution had to change. Um, so there was a, a new constitution uh, proposed in 2007, approved in 2009. Um, and uh, Morales moved forward with, with things like uh, nationalization of the um, energy system, um, uh, reorganizing the mining industry. Some of that is still privately owned, but, but uh, some of it is publicly owned and so on. Um, so, so Morales elected in December, 2005, uh, was the president, uh, until, uh, November, 2019. So that's, uh, 14, almost 14 years. Um, and this is a time of, uh, I think great progress in Bolivia. Uh, and it shows what can be done when a government decides to reorient the resources of the, the nation towards the benefit of the impoverished minority. A majority, sorry, uh, and um, and it it does mean some restrictions on the uh, on what the rich can do, on what wealthy people can do. Uh, but so be it. It's it, it, he mostly tried to do the right things uh, to bring about uh, a better life for most people in the country. Now, another impression I had I think, of Bolivia in those two visits I, I made uh, in 2011, 2015, was that politics had become kind of normal. Like it wasn't, um, it wasn't like before you had to go to the streets to make your your make your point or organize a national strike to make your point. You could have a reasonable debate. Uh, with government, with other sectors about environmental policies, about um, uh, specific policy options. You know, there was a big fight over uh, building a, a highway through uh, through a, a national park, protected indigenous land, and you know, the back and forth over that. Yeah, they did have to take to the streets to get the government to hear. But I think that was a good moment in Bolivia in the Morales years was when people challenged the government and said, you know, look, what you're proposing isn't isn't working for us. Um, and, uh, the, the, and, and I think you could say, like from outside, you know, people made criticisms of Bolivia that, you know, I think merit some attention. So one of them was that uh, the government of Bolivia hadn't done enough to uh, step away from dependence on on resource extraction uh, for the wealth of the nation. And, uh, and the answer is a little bit, well, what are we supposed to do? You know, that's, that's what we have. Um, 
uh, we have resources that the rest of the world wants to buy, you know, oil, gas, minerals, um, tin, infamously. And, uh, you know, and so, so as we try to uh, create an, an economy that is more just for people, and that may produce other economic alternatives into the future, um, we have to uh, rely on resource resource extraction for the for the for the short term. I, I, the same the same comment was made about a lot of the the so-called pink wave governments in the um, you know sort of like from 2000 to 2015 or so that. They hadn't uh, done enough to step away from resource extraction, but again, they their response was, well, "We kind of don't have a choice here. Um, we're at the uh, bottom end of the global economy, and uh, you know, give us a chance to get on our feet." So, so anyway, uh, all of that kind of went along. There were there were debates about uh, expanding rights for women, um, LGBT, LGBTI people. That that new constitution in 2007 actually. Uh, defined marriage as being between a man and a man and a woman, and so that uh, seemed to uh, block uh, further progress on inclusion for LGBT people. So, uh, so those those kinds of issues continue to be argued about. Um, and, but, the, but what happened in uh, after the election in um, October November uh, 2019 came as a surprise. You know the. Uh, the votes were um, votes were counted. The count was interrupted. When the uh, counting continued, the OAS, uh, the Amer Organization of American Sta States, uh, cast doubt on the results and on the process. And and then there was this whole um, kind of uh, electronic media campaign that, that you know, like later was found to be. Um, you know, you know, bots and um, and lies. You know, uh, that that cast doubt on the, the whole process, and so uh, so things kind of you know the outside pressure, uh, the the pressure pressure from the the wealthy elites and so on. They and then the military finally uh, pushed uh, Evo Morales to uh, to leave Bolivia. He went first to Mexico and later Argentina, uh, so as to protect uh, the the. People that were his supporters from from further violence. Um, so then uh, you, you'll remember the uh, those uh, stunning scenes of uh, the the coup leaders going going into the cathedral carrying a, or going into the national national palace or carrying a huge Bible. Uh, so there's this kind of restoration, a sense of restoration by the the whites and the wealthy people uh, taking power back from the indigenous people, reimposing. Um, a kind of a colonial notion of um, of Christianity on the country, as if the indigenous people um, uh, weren't also um, Christians of a different sort, and uh, and so like I think the process for the past year was was for the 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 that right wing coup government of Jeanine Agnes uh, as the interim president, like try to try to force itself or re reimpose. Um, an old style authoritarian rule in in Bolivia, and their uh, hope going into the election was uh, well, first with Agnes herself, uh, but she it was pretty obvious she wouldn't win. Um, so then they threw their um, their weight behind a guy named uh, Carlos Mesa, who had been president before uh, Evo Morales uh, and was one of those uh, unsuccessful uh, presidents in the. Um, 
the early part of the 2000s. And so, so this election happened. Um, Mass won. It was pretty clear from exit polling that he had won. And uh, the Mass is the movement towards socialism, the, the political party. Um, and uh, and and he won convincingly. I mean, the I th- the official results have been uh, slowly coming out, but uh, the official results have uh, have him just above fifty percent of the vote. So um, so the, so there we are. We've we've got this uh, surprising uh, surprising victory, and and uh, uh, and it seems to be accepted by so far by by the other parties and. Uh, um, and the OAS itself. Uh, thanks, Jim. That is a fantastic uh, uh, long view of Bolivia that I think helps us contextualize what's happening in just recent days, weeks. Uh, I wondered, you know, you've spent so much time in this region, and in 2002 or uh, 2004 um, and two, some kind of similar events happened in Venezuela where. Hugo Chavez in '02 was removed from office by the military in a coup and then restored to power just a couple days later. In 2004, he survived a, a recall referendum, which you saw as an election observer there. So, you know, you're in, in touch with these kinds of dynamics. Um, again, people can find out lots more about Venezuela by listening to some older episodes we've done with Jim. But I'm curious, having gone through that, does this return of the MAS to power after this coup attempt um, in Bolivia, remind you at all of those kinds of events in Venezuela. What does it tell you about the power of these social movements? Um, you know, what does it mean that the people of Bolivia chose in such overwhelming force to restore the MAS to government? Yeah, fascinating, isn't it? It's uh, you know what what happened in um, 2002 uh, with um, it, with that coup attempt against Chavez was 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 interesting. I mean, it just took you know three or four days of of street protests to for for the uh, for the other side to back off and, and uh, bring him back. Um, and uh, and then, of course, you know, as you say, there was the the um, recall referendum. There was also a recall referendum against uh, uh, Evo Morales. Um, uh, you know, what when was that? Around 2000, 2000, 2007 or eight. Um, so those those are democratic tactics. The coup is not a democratic tactic, uh, but the those recall referendums are. are Features of the new constitutions that that, that the people can uh, organize a, um, a plebiscite. You get a long uh, you get a long list of signatures, uh, 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 and then demand a, a recall uh, referendum. And uh, and so that happened in both countries. Um, and uh, in each case, uh, Chavez won in, in in Venezuela in 2004, and uh, and Morales won again. Um, Defeated the recall referendum, uh, and I've forgotten which year that was—2007 or so. Uh, anyway, um, so having recovered power, the people, in a sense, recover power. Uh, what will happen now? And I mean, um, so we could take a look at the, the the guy who won, whose name is Luis Arce, or he's called uh, Lucho. And he's uh, he's an interesting guy. He's uh, not indigenous. He's uh, an economist, um, and he was the minister, the minister of finance, uh, and the architect of the um, the changes to the economy in uh, Bolivia throughout most of the 
past 14 years. Those are years of pretty steady economic growth and reduction of poverty and uh, great improvement on inequality and uh, uh, and then uh, moving to uh, trying to shift the economy just from uh, uh, extraction resources to actually uh, some industry built around them. So uh, so he's an economist, uh, an intellectual. He has a he studied in England at Warwick University, has a master's degree in economics. Um, so he kind of represents one part of the the mass, the part the movement towards socialism, political party. His running mate is a, a man named uh, David Choque Huanca, who is uh, indigenous, and he kind of represents the other side of the the mass. And he is closer to the um, world from which emerged Evo Morales himself, close to the the so, social movements, and uh, he's somebody who kind of represents the the indigenous imagination of uh, the the uh, vivir, uh, vivir bien or uh, good living uh, in in Aymara, the Suma Kamanya, it's called uh, this this uh, indigenous notion that, that that we should live well on the earth um, and not in opposition um, in, in a way of de- destroying it. So so he. So David Chokiwanka is much more the, um, the, the what we would much more the inheritor of the, uh, uh, the sort of the indigenous mystique that uh, Evo Morales uh, carried with him. Um, uh, Arce will be, I think, uh, a very competent leader. Uh, he he's given a couple of interviews. He says the first thing that he will do is. Uh, uh, offer um, he calls it a bono, which in a sense means coupon, but but a kind of a a payment to people uh, as they contend with the COVID nineteen pandemic. Um, I think the next thing that he he may do though is is going to cause some concern, which may be a kind of an austerity program. Um, and but that's at the same time as he's kind of looking at austerity because again there aren't very many alternatives as he says he's also demanded a two-year uh um, suspension of payment on bolivia's national debt and uh and i think that something i might draw your attention to is I think like not just in Bolivia, but but around the world, the demands for suspension of debt repayments have uh, uh, surged to the surface again, uh, 20 years after, um, you, you know, they kind of subsided a bit uh, because um, uh, interest rates dropped so much. Anyway, so uh, the debt is again uh, um, on everybody's uh, agenda and the IMF the World Bank, the G20, uh, the banks uh, globally, they're all uh, hearing the demands from countries like Bolivia uh, for suspension of debt repayment. And so there have been some, I think, tinkering with with uh, payment schedules, um, but but not enough. And so Arce will be kind of key in that um, struggle over how, how debt is managed. Again, he's called for a two-year suspension. I think the most that the IMF and uh, World Bank and G20 have offered is... Uh, uh, well, first of all, it was to the end of this year. Now it looks like it's towards the middle of next year. Uh, private banks, of course, will have nothing to do with that kind of conversation. But the, uh, but there is, um, yeah, a lively conversation going on with the with the uh, 
international financial institutions. And uh, we can look at uh, RCA as key in that. He'll be a leader. That's all really fascinating. I'm interested to see how those, uh, those policies really shake out for people on the ground. Well, I want to turn back to something that you just said a, a minute ago. Uh, you mentioned that there are these you know, two sides of Moss represented in the, uh, the presidential candidates. Um, that reminds me of something that you, you said to us last year uh, when we spoke about the coup. You mentioned that the Moss struggled to maintain a lot of the different partnerships and like mobilized bases after the election of Evo Morales, um, you know, which was a strength and a liability in its own way. But does it seem like Moss has won some of that back um, or I don't know what's going on there? Um, how did they remobilize their base after the coup? Yeah, fascinating. I, I think that they they rebuilt a coalition um, <clears throat> because people. I mean, if the right wing had been less, uh, here I go again, you know, giving advice to the right wing. But you know, if they had been less stupid about how they took power, um, you know, that that whole symbolic march into the national palace with the giant Bible. Um, uh, they might have uh, they they might have actually presented a realistic alternative, but they, no, they, that wasn't what they wanted to do. It was all very triumphalistic, uh, neo-colonial. Um, so, people who had uh, been alienated perhaps by 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 the mass being slow on say women's issues or um, uh, ecological issues. Um, uh, the, the 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 failure to move fast enough to build economic economic alternatives uh and so on if it, you know if if you care about the environment if you care about justice for women for uh for human rights uh for indigenous rights even minimally then then you weren't going to get anything like that from uh, from the people who supported the coup so people who may not have voted for mass in 2019, I think voted for them this time because um, they saw that the the other side had nothing to offer them. That makes sense. Uh, there's so much we could ask about the anatomy, I guess, of all of this, uh, the people's movements and how things are, are shifting and recovering and all of that. Um, but I fear we'll get too bogged down in the details. <laughs> we have some other important questions to get to. Maybe we could pivot a little bit to talking about um, what this victory means for people on the left and also what it's like to think about it as people who don't live in Bolivia and are just kind of observing all these things. Um, you know, there's a lot of responses from North Americans above Mexico, at least on Bolivia. Uh, one interesting point that's kind of popped up is how the Bolivian people voted out fascism. And that is taken by some to be a signal that people in the U.S. could also vote out, you know, Donald Trump or fascism in the upcoming election. And at least for us, you know, uh, voting is, is fine and good. Um, but this seems maybe like a sort of a false equivalence. Uh, and perhaps it's difficult to parse out what we can and can't analogize between these situations. So, you know, maybe we could just start by getting your your impression on that as we try to learn our own lessons from Bolivia. What do you think about those who compare, for instance, voting out Donald Trump and voting out uh, Jeannie Nanez? Yeah, interesting. I'd like to kind of uh, maybe do two things. Well, like, what does it mean in the region in Latin America? And then I'll come to the the uh, the trump Anya's question. <laughs> there are some parallels there. Um, but in, in the region, I think this is, uh, you know, wh where you've seen protests uh, in Chile, Ecuador, um, Costa Rica, most recently, um, 
over the 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 the, the policies of um, the pretty conservative governments. Very very persistent, uh, long lasting uh, demonstrations in 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 quite a few countries, and, and actually right now in. Um, Colombia marched by indigenous people um, on the capital, a two-day general strike. Um, so the the momentum or the uh, resistance in Latin America, I think, will be strengthened by the the victory. Um, it, it gives people a lot of hope that that uh, that the that the mass has uh, won power again um, in Bolivia. And but uh, and then I think when you when you think about situations facing us in the the, the north, uh, you know the, the the U.S. election is on now, and and uh, people you know I think rightly are committed to getting rid of Trump. Um, and uh, and I, I you know I'm a Canadian. It's it's not for me to tell people in the United States how to vote, but you know like frankly we kind of hope that uh, <laughs> Trump will be gone after this. Um, at the same time, Biden is not Lucho Arce. Uh, you know, he's uh, he's going to be uh, the head of the superpower. Um, you know, we've we've had some conversations around the edges about imperialism, and uh, you know, he's going to head the empire. Uh, so I think that the people, those of us who uh, see Trump as the um, Kind of the embodiment of of uh, of uh, fascism or the or the uh, the 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 open having opened the door to um, really awful um, racist and uh, militia like uh, uh, movements um, in the United States. Uh, stopping that is is really important, but at the same time, um, we can't pretend that Biden will resolve all the problems, uh, you know, so the pressure has to stay on. And, and I think um, that's a lesson to take from Latin America. Uh, people in Latin America will still have to contend with U.S. imperialism and people in the United States will still have to dismantle racism and militarism and colonialism and uh, the capitalist system that undermines democracy, you know, so like all those things have to, those struggles will will go on, and and in a way, um, having the pressure or no, here, here, this is what I think. Trump takes up way too much space in our brains, um, and that's something that Anya's tried to do with her her Bible stunt and those other Christian symbols um, was to try to occupy space in our brains, and 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 no, we, we have to. Uh, always be focused on what we want, what we are in favor of, and uh, and 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 keep looking for ways to advance uh, a people's agenda that uh, that reorients the 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 instruments of power to the 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 benefit of all. Yeah, I think that's true. Not to mention, um, you know, the the folks in Bolivia in, in the mosque they're organized in ways that the American left can only dream about. Now I want to turn to something that you said last time you were on the show about the preferential option for the poor. Um, I think it was something that really stuck with Dean and I, so I thought it'd be a good thing to bring it back up. So uh, the preferential option for the poor, as people know, is a concept that comes from liberation theology. If you want to know more about that, listen to our show. Um, but the way that you've talked about it in the past helps us see that the poor can also have projects themselves, and uh, it's important to affirm those projects. So do you think that we can see Bolivia and the MAS as an expression of that preferential option for the poor? Um, 
would that be like a Christian way of trying to understand what's going on here? Yeah, that's a, that's an interesting take. And uh, there've been some moments uh, in these past 14 years um, uh, where Evo Morales and Francis uh, drew close. Um, and uh, Pope Francis, I think with his um, openness uh, to indigenous spirituality and symbols um, and to social movements, uh, several times uh, encountered Evo as an ally in in those, and I, I know that uh, the Pope called Evo uh, after the election. Uh, I hope he also called uh, Lucho Arce, the new president. Uh, anyway, uh, but but yeah, I, I think liberation theology kind of describes a way of of thinking about the world and and including power relationships uh, in the world and. Um, and and puts an emphasis on uh, thinking from the margins, from the people who've been locked out, the people who've been excluded, um, and what's going on there. And uh, the preferential option for the poor is maybe a bit more of an institutional response to that kind of uh, social ferment. So, you know, the, the church talks about its uh, preferential option for the poor, um, and, you know, the language is kind of... Um, it's picked up in Catholic social teaching and and in the teaching of other churches too. Uh, so um, so it's kind of two two things. If you think about uh, from the perspective of of uh, uh, religious power or political power, uh, what's gone on in Bolivia has been the the poor made choices uh, for political expression of their social movements or of their deepest desires. Um, so they created a political party that won power and won power uh, several times again, and then won power again uh, this week. Uh, so you you may have um, questions or doubts, but you stand with the people who've uh, made those choices about their own lives and say, you know, I will stand with those people in in their option because I made an option for them. I choose to believe what they say about their conditions and will uh, support their uh, efforts for change because uh, justice demands that of me. So, so that, that's maybe where, where I would draw a bit of a distinction between the preferential option for the poor as a concept that's maybe more out of the uh, institutions and liberation theology, which is kind of like the, the you know the other side of the page, or the same you know the the other, the other reading. Liberation theology emerges from the from the from the margins and from the grassroots and from a deep reflection on um, on life and community, uh, what's going on in our communities. So, so if if people with power are listening, then they will uh, make they will. Uh, stand with the poor in their choices. Um, and that's something, of course, in, in practical terms every day, we, we see governments refusing to do. Um, and, and I think we'll see it again in the, ne in the next few months and, and years uh, that uh, uh, the United States, uh, the banks, the International Monetary Fund, the, the people with power will do everything they can to try to undermine the, uh, the choice of the Bolivian people. And it's up to the rest of us to stand in solidarity um, with the people as they make their choices about the, the future uh, that they want to make.
I think that's a, a good word, um, trying to see people as making choices themselves and what does it mean to be in solidarity with them. Well, uh, what's great about having you on the show for this particular um, conversation, as we said at the top of the uh, hour, is that usually, well, the past two times we've had you on the show, it's been to talk through what seems to be bad news, <laughs> or at least complicated news, right? The um, the efforts of the U.S. and Canada to intervene in Venezuela and then the coup last year in Bolivia. And being a person on the left can be depressing, of course, um, especially if you live in the centers of power. But stories like Bolivia's are, are also very hopeful, um, at least uh, in the last week. So how do you think Christians on the left or leftists in general can celebrate those victories? How do we sustain or build on that energy when things maybe aren't feeling as exciting or hopeful? Yeah, I think um, we can take hope from the social movements in our midst. Um, we see, again, in Canada, uh, mobilization around Indigenous rights uh you know, uh, this is uh, sparked again by by something that's happened in one place, uh, rural Nova Scotia, over one issue: uh, who who can fish for lobster and when. Um, and uh, but it, you know, it's the same struggle that, that we saw at the beginning of this year in in British Columbia in a fight over uh, uh, a gas pipeline through Indigenous territory. We see the, the 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 massive response in the United States and in Canada to racism. Um, and the Black Lives really do matter. Uh, you, you know, when when you think about the the kind of social mobilization that brought um, Evo to power at the beginning and held him in power, uh, and then uh, returned uh, the mass to power. Uh, you know, the, the 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 street marches and so on. They're they're not unlike what. Uh, what Black Lives, Mass, uh, Black Lives Matter mustered in the um, you know, May and June um, in the United States. So, you know, the, look for hope in the the social movements that you're part of. Um, how to sort of knit alliances uh, across sectors um, and. Uh, yeah, knowing that we won't always agree on everything, but you know, like what 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 can we do today that that moves us all forward? Um, that, so I, I think we should draw hope from from uh, the these rare victories. Uh, you know, it's it's not going to be easy in Bolivia. It's not going to be easy anywhere else. But I, I think that we'll see in the months ahead in Latin America some more victories. Uh, you know, those those demonstrations in Chile are going to lead to I think a new constitution in Chile get rid of fi get rid finally of the Pinochet uh, dictatorship era constitution in in that country. Um, then we'll see what else can change. Uh, the, the, uh, there's an election in December in uh, Venezuela that uh, is to uh, replace the the Congress. Um, and I, I think uh, just if I could, if I can say a word about Venezuela is. I, I, again, you see the global powers lined up uh, against, uh, uh, you know, a complicated uh, but generally progressive um, uh, government that that's been in power for for twenty years in Venezuela, um, and it's a situation where uh, 
governments like that of Canada and and the the, the United States uh, seem to want to do anything except actually support dialogue as a means towards uh, resolving conflict. Um, it's it's very sad to see uh, that Canada is still standing with that uh, um, ridiculous coalition, the, the Lima the Lima Group. Um, uh, in opposition to the, um, the 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 elected the people the 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 government that the people of Venezuela chose and have chosen successfully to to govern them, so um, so yeah, it's not going to be easy. But uh, but I, I think if we're wise on the left, then we will uh, learn from mistakes and learn from the ways that uh, the that power has taken advantage of our dis of our divisions um you know to divide and rule us literally and uh, uh and that we can find uh, yet again some new ways of coming together to build alternatives that that work for the for most of the people most of the time uh, i feel we always end our conversations with you asking you a, a question about solidarity and it just seems appropriate to talk about that here as well as we sort of near the end of the conversation um, there were a lot of mobilization attempts to build solidarity with the people of Bolivia in the last year, um, which I guess have, have paid off in some respect, or maybe people feel vindicated, and that's that's so great and fantastic. Um, yeah, one of those rare moments of celebration. Uh, but as you say, the solidarity work is not just overseas. There's all kinds of solidarity to be built um, in our, our own countries, where there's plenty of injustice happening here, too. Uh, as somebody who's been involved in so many uh, groups and, and around so many groups that are building solidarity. Uh, what do you think that especially Christians on the left um, in a place like the United States or like Canada, uh, what do you think that we might be able to learn from these uh, experiments in, in solidarity and participation? And uh, how might we build those kinds of strong uh, voices for, for justice uh, in our own country? Yeah. Solidarity is, is uh uh, a word I, I love, you know, how do we build um, alliances of solidarity across borders and across uh, languages and everything else? It's, it's, it's a huge challenge. But, you know, we have some some bodies that uh, that help us to do that. And there are opportunities uh, all around us if, if, if we look for them. And so, you know, like in, in Canada, um, I'm proud to support organizations like uh, uh, development and peace um, that uh, that that works really hard to build uh, relationships north and south, or some of the um, other efforts of Canadian churches, uh, the United Church, the Primates World Relief and Development Fund at the Anglican Church, and so on. And then in the United States, Church World Service and um, and some of the others. So so you know, like there are some ways that people can. Uh, uh, get involved in those kinds of organizations, and, and if if nothing else, support them with with money that, that that's always needed. Um, they they're, they're very concrete expressions of of what we've been talking about. But then also, like in in um, like I, I think that I think something that I try to do that helps keep me honest. Like I live, you know, fairly comfortable, sort of middle class life in downtown Toronto, um, and. Uh, and at the same time, you know, try, try to make some noise on behalf of the people I care about in, in Latin America and other parts of the world. Um, uh, but, but something that helps 
keep me honest in those struggles is engaging with people who are uh, newcomers, uh, new immigrants, especially refugees, especially uh, people who who end up here and uh, seek uh, seek protection, you know, refugee claimants in Canada. And, and uh, so I think like over these, I, I came back from Mexico in 2000, and I think since 2000, I've been always involved around the edges in um, refugee work because it uh, keeps me grounded in um, in people's real lives. Uh, you know, so supporting uh, somebody who came to Canada from Honduras uh, takes me deeply inside um, the the struggles for for life and justice in a, in probably the the country with the worst human rights violations in in the hemisphere right now so um you know like those that's solidarity too you you uh while you're looking at those those big picture struggles um try to have somebody in your life that is uh you know honestly struggling with uh, a real um a really concrete issue, uh, you know, whether it's refugees or whether it's the prison system or the states right now, you know, the voter suppression, you know, how how, how do you make sure that everybody gets to vote in in in, uh, in that uh, in that context right now, you know, so so the solidarity is built from our, our concrete lived experiences of of um, uh, struggle against um, against the the forces of oppression. Um, what do we learn for those? Take it to a political realm. I, I you know I love how you guys uh, in uh, in this podcast encourage people to um, move from the the sort of the the religious the religious space and into the political space. You know. Uh, uh, that 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 our um, that our faith demands of us that we get involved politically because you know somehow the political action is a social expression of uh, the call to love one another. That's that's yeah that's that's kind of what I think about solidarity. Dang, that's a good word, Jim. I think that's a really instructive point to end on. Yeah, and I'm sure we'll hopefully talk to you again uh, in December as we all look to Venezuela to see what happens there and are trying to make sense of uh, everything that happens in the lead up to those events. Yeah, I think uh, I've got the, the, the things I want to do. And, you know, I have retired from that job at the United Church, but I'm still very active in a lot of different issues. And so, you know, I'm going to write to some politicians about those those elections, uh, because I, I think I, I, it's, it's appalling to me that they dismiss uh, elections before they've even happened. Uh, so it's anyway, there's there's work to be done. Uh, well, good luck uh, with it. And uh, we'll see you in the struggle in our own way, too. Um, we'll uh, talk to you soon. Thanks for listening to Magnificast. If you like what you heard, you can support us on Patreon, patreon.com slash the Magnificast. We also uh, have a Redbubble store. We got shirts. We got stickers. We got Shirts and stickers. Maybe a pin in there. Who knows? Who knows what Redbubble's got? I haven't looked in a little bit. Our intro music is by Amaria Armstrong, and our outro music is by The Illogical Spoon. We'll see you next time. I don't want to get up for church in the morning, church in the morning, souls alive.